What we are learning around the world is that if women are healthy and educated, their families will flourish. If women are free from violence, their families will flourish. If women have a chance to work and earn as full and equal partners in society, their families will flourish. And when families flourish, communities and nations do as well. Welcome to episode four of Achieve Great Things. At this point in American history, we communicators have a lot of questions. One interesting one we explore today with our guest Susan Markham is the idea of communicating about the role that government plays in people's lives and the benefits that people actually see from, from government. And we also talk a lot about, about gender and um, where we are as a country now versus other countries around the world. Hope you enjoy this interview with Susan Markham. Let us know what you think of the podcast so far. Shoot us an email at podcast.hadaway.com. Reach us on Twitter at hadaway.com or on Facebook. We look forward to your feedback, thoughts, guest ideas, etc. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen. Have a good week. I'm here with Susan Markham, uh, who's a gender and development and political strategist and who um, has recently launched a firm called Smash Strategies, which she's going to tell us a little bit about. Uh, Susan and I met each other uh, in 2009, I think, when we were working on a sort of political campaign training manual and program for the new organizing institute mm-hmm. um so thanks for joining us glad to be here um so tell us a little bit about your background you have you have experience in a lot of different fields um government and development and political campaigns um tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now Sure. Well, I started out in U.S. politics and was working out in the states for non-federal statewide campaigns, starting in fundraising and then managing. Then I came back to D.C. and worked for a couple committees and finally ended up at Emily's List, which was great because I had started my master's thesis was in women running for office. So it was great to be at Emily's List and, and work with you and others about lessons learned from the 2008 campaign and what we could take forward, which is ironic because now we're doing it for (laughs) this campaign as well. Yeah. Um, So when I was at Emily's List, a lot of groups would come from overseas because they wanted to build an Emily's List in their country. And no one at Emily's List had much of an interest in that conversation, but I was intrigued with it and wanted to find out what was relevant about this system, this political system overseas and, and what the role of women could be in that. So through that, I met people who were working in the international field. Um, So then I moved over to the National Democratic Institute, NDI, where I was in charge of women in politics. And we were working to increase the number of women as activists, as voters, as political party members, candidates, and then um, as office holders. So kind of across the whole spectrum of that. Um, After I'd been there a couple years, what I realized was that us, trying to recruit women to run for office in most of these countries was not really practical because Mm -hmm. for their lives, asking them to run for office was like asking them to fly to the moon, Mm -hmm. but they had to build their own rocket because (laughs) they they had no food or they weren't safe or they didn't even have electricity 24 hours a day. So to say, we want you to work at home, work in your paid job, and then we need you to also run for office. Um, So I moved to USAID and at the Agency for International Development, I really wanted to take a whole 
whole picture of women and help them be more involved in politics, but also address the needs around education and health and other issues that they had so that they would feel that they were in a position to think about running for office. Um, so then I finished up there in January and now I'm at Smash Strategies. What are sort of lessons you've learned from this election and how do you take those forward from a communications perspective? Yes, what I learned uh, working for the U.S. government and then I think was was really reaffirmed through this election was that it's really about voters and citizens. And I think sometimes here we just so focus on ourselves and the process that we lose sight, even our own friends and family who don't live in the mm -hmm. Beltway. You know, mm -hmm. what are their real lives like? You know, this campaign had two imperfect candidates who are focused on themselves and each other. And I think voters didn't want, didn't feel like they were part of that conversation. And so um, they didn't re really see themselves reflected in that. Um, so I saw a graph this week where something like 29% of the population did not vote. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, less than the two candidates got together. And that's shocking. Yeah. Um, they, but they just didn't feel it was relevant. And so um, I think the more that we can talk about our work um, in Washington mm -hmm. in a way that people see as relevant to their lives and not just relevant but important to their lives. Yeah. I think um, we need to do that better and I think the public is demanding it quite frankly at this point. Yeah and we before we started recording we were talking about you know the word government and how many candidates at least well, Republican candidates have used the word government in one way to, to sort of talk about all the problems, um, and Democrats have sort of shied away. Um, what has your experience at USAID led you to think we should be doing? Like, what are ways that we can talk about, you know, the, th the good things that government does and, and the essential role that government plays? I think we just have to be upfront with people about all the great things our government does. And people don't even know where their fire department funds come from mm -hmm. or who picks up their garbage or the roads. And quite frankly, um, what we do overseas. You know, it's really proud to see our government and our country reflected in the Secretary of State and our mm -hmm. ambassadors overseas. I can't tell you how many times I've been in another country and working with an interpreter and I said, oh, your English is so great. Where did you learn English? And they said, a Peace Corps volunteer. Mm -hmm. I mean, so many times. And so it, I think a lot of people in the United States don't understand all that our government does. Mm -hmm. um, it's only when it's threatened to be taken away that they start paying attention to it. And we need to be not afraid to tell that more positive story in a way that both, I think, shows the complexity of the policies we have, but also uses regular words. Yeah. I mean, that was one thing when I joined the U.S. government. There are a lot of acronyms and a lot of jargon. And the reports are so boring because they're just cliched words. Mm -hmm. And so if we can actually, I, I tell a lot of stories when I'm talking outside of Washington and in Washington because it's the people make it real. And if you can say, you know, I travel, I have two children. I take a lot of pictures of kids in other countries mm -hmm. because that's what they care about. They don't care about the parliament building. They want to know what is their school like yep. and where do they play soccer, you know, and these sorts yeah. of things and sharing those similarities to what it's like for people in other countries and what it's like in this country really brings it home to folks about how how great we have it. Yeah. I was actually in rural West Virginia this uh, weekend and we were in the middle of nowhere. No mm -hmm. cell reception, no Wi-Fi, nothing. And yet we were on a perfectly paved road. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, you know what? 
in Liberia, there are less than 100 miles of paved road in the whole country, the size of Ohio. How yeah. is that possible? Yeah. You know, that we take it for granted here. Yeah. And it's really not the case in a lot of places. It's interesting because we, a lot of the work that we do is um, strategic storytelling and putting people in the picture is one of the things that we say over and over on, on any topic subject to most of our clients. And that really does, it's simple, but, but really necessary. And I think you're seeing, like the, you mentioned the town hall meetings before we started recording this week about Obamacare, and it's like people people who have or can lose their health care are starting to show up and you see their faces and hear about their lives, and that's just a much more compelling um, way to engage with, with a topic than just hearing about a 10-point plan for for healthcare. Yeah, I talk at every opportunity about um, my using Planned Parenthood for most of my 20s. I worked on political campaigns. Mm -hmm. No one offered health insurance mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. I had a pre-existing condition and so mm -hmm. I couldn't get health insurance. And so all of my healthcare was through Planned Parenthood. And when I have friends from more conservative areas of the country say, well, I don't know anyone who would ever go to Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you do. Like <laughs> I can name you 10, <laughs> right? Because there was no other option. Mm -hmm. And so all the services that they provide, you know, putting a real name and face to um, the services that governments help funds yeah. is really important. From a communications perspective, what do you see now in this in this new environment and given your experience across all these different fields, um, what do you see as the big challenges and opportunities for communicators who are trying to sort of create impact through communications? Well, I do think a challenge is that, you know, I think people want to dumb it down a little bit. Mm -hmm. So really talking about policy details, nuances, big ideas um, in a way that's relatable to people. So using words that, I mean, that's, I don't want to say it's dumbing down, but I just feel like we, I talk in cliches or words that don't really mean anything. Like, what does a workshop mean? What does it mean impact? What does, you know, all like <laughs> right. read websites, you know, it's yeah. not just great. And so talking about it in a way that's, that's thoughtful, but in a way that um, that people can relate to, to what you're talking about. The opportunities are, is that there are so many different ways to connect with people, you know, and um, whether it's online or in person or, you know, like a podcast, which I think would have been, really, you're gonna go back to that if people had talked about yeah. it five years ago, yeah. we're gonna do uh, audio things. Yeah. Um, so there's so many different ways, but I think as communicators, we can find what works for us. Mm -hmm. So it, whether it's video or audio or mm -hmm. if, if tweeting is your talent, you know, yeah, you can yeah, always yeah. find how that is and then use that. But then there's also so many opportunities to find people where they already are, mm -hmm. right? If it's on Facebook or if it's in town hall meetings or um, you can look for different ways. It's We have a bigger toolbox, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And so we can find different ways to both what we, how we feel comfortable communicating, but also where people are and how they're open to hearing from us. Um, and so not going back to like the same three over and over. It's it's really the world is wide open with regard to that. And how you're, you're from Ohio, mm -hmm. like I am. How do we, how do we, or how do you think about handling the sort of engaging with people outside of the coasts and um, just back to what you were saying about all these channels or opportunities, are there specific things that you think work with people who you know from, you know, your family or friends in Ohio that you think maybe were missed opportunities before? Or should specific organizations be thinking differently about 
communications in ways that, that help to engage people from the places that we're from? Well, I do think that there are a lot of places people come together in Ohio that we don't come together here. Um, you know, in communities, I was, you know, saw a ComFest sticker the other day, right? The community mm -hmm. festival that takes place in downtown mm -hmm. Columbus every spring. You know, who is there from a political party? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one thing that I fear that we're missing is that people are turning out for town halls mm -hmm. and the Democratic leaders don't know one person in the room. Yep. They don't know where to go from here. And so what are people and organizations, how are they thinking creatively about going to um, places that they might not have otherwise gone? You know, mm -hmm. are people collecting email addresses at these town hall meetings? Are people, one disappointment I heard from the Women's March in Washington in January was there were no political parties there, the main political parties collecting signatures. There was no organizing going on. And so people are coming together. They're looking for ways. I definitely think in the Midwest, people tend to like the in-person more. Mm -hmm, They're mm -hmm. just used to getting together, right? Yeah. Whether it's in your condo association mm -hmm. or your local library or school turnout. Yeah. You know, people just come together more in person. And I think that although we're all busy, um, online will only get you so far. And people are looking for real conversations and not just one-way communications. Yeah. And obviously Absolutely. anything around a bucket game. Yeah, you know. yeah football yeah. is the big opportunity. <laughs> it's interesting because that that's really just making sure that we're taking advantage of existing existing events and things that are going on. It's just thinking strategically about stuff that's already happening. Yeah. You don't have to go and create your own create your own convenings or events, but have, having presence at places where people will be. Because they're already, if you actually listen to what they're saying there, mm -hmm. they're talking about the issues they care about. Sure. You don't need to have a poll. You don't need to have a special event to hear from them. Yep. If you were just listening to the kind of events that are already happening there, whether it's a about a stop sign or school funding, you know, you'll know who cares about those issues because yeah. who shows up. So one more question just on, because of your background in development and gender, your experience at Emily's List and traveling around the world to help help train female political candidates. How do you feel about that now when you go to another country? Is it Does it feel like we here are, we have a setback that we need to overcome? Do people look at us differently um, because of the election outcome? I mean, what, well, what are people saying? Well, I have saying? to say, Whenever I travel overseas, I always start with the caveat that we haven't gotten it all figured out in the United States. Because even before this election, we are ranked in the 60s for the level of women's political participation at the national level. Many other countries are above our 25%. So I started out with that. Yep. But I also say that what we do have in the United States is more elections than any other country. Most countries have one election every four or five years for everything from the mm -hmm. top to the bottom. So we just do more campaigns. And mm -hmm. that's what I try to bring is kind of what we learn more more quickly because we just have more elections. Um, I do think people were really hoping and looking to this election to um, continue to look to the United States as a leader on gender issues as well as politics. Um, for several reasons. One is that Hillary Clinton was just known worldwide, you yeah. know, yeah. starting in Beijing and all of her trips as Secretary of State. It wasn't a woman that they just thought of from the United States, it was Hillary. Mm -hmm. And they used the first name when they talk about her. And so there were such high hopes um, for her presidency. Um, I do think that now we just need to continue to have the conversation. One thing I've been surprised about is a lot of the issues that we're dealing with in, if we can say, the current women's movement mm -hmm. is that whether it's with regard to intersectionality, women from different classes and races coming together, 
in a lot of countries, they've been dealing with that for 20 or 25 years. Mm -hmm. We could have lessons learned from these groups around the world if we're just open to having conversations with them. Secondly, they want to be in a conversation mm -hmm. with the United States mm -hmm. about this. On the day of the Women's March in Washington, there were marches in hundreds of places around the world. Yeah totally not organized by the yeah. U.S., that they were spontaneous. And so I think if we could have more of a dialogue between the U.S. and other countries about not just women in politics, but about a range of issues, whether it's pay equity or gender-based mm -hmm. violence, um, we have a lot to learn from them as well as them learn for us. And I do definitely think because of the campaign and certainly as this administration has shown in the first several weeks, that there will be an ongoing conversation about gender and communications and how men and women both communicate and receive communications differently. That's for sure. Um, so what's one sort of idea um, that you'd leave communicators with um, at this point, given all your experience and where we are currently? I would say both from, you know, having had to represent the U.S. government in places formal and informal, and also what I've seen in the past year and a half out on the campaign trail is just be authentic. I read, the, I read this great book once called Your Professionalism is Killing You. Mm -hmm. And it was very much that show your passion. Show that you care mm -hmm. about these issues and how they affect your lives. Um, because that will come across and I think it will be more interesting to the audience. But also it shows your true self. And mm -hmm. so if you're passionate or sad or whatever that is, it can add to your message. And I think oftentimes we train people to hold their hands in their laps and you know, have very conservative body language and this sorts of things. But I think there's a place and there's a thirst for people to really show what they really not only think, but how they feel. And so what are you, um, tell us a little bit about Smash Strategies. How are you taking all the lessons you've learned and helping to make the world a better place now? Well, I'm super excited about Smash Strategies. Um, we are going to be helping individuals, organizations, and corporations who want to do gender work think about what that really means. There's this, I hope we're at a tipping point where more and more people understand that um, you know equality between men and women and boys and girls can help on a full range of issues from world peace and security to education to the economy for certain. Um, and so they know they should be doing it, mm -hmm. but they don't know what that means. And so is it a specific area either in the United States or a region around the world? Do they have a specific topic they want to cover? Everything from you know women farmers to you know, adolescent girls staying mm -hmm. in school and really just be strategic about what that means. Often also they don't just want to be an investor. Mm -hmm. They want to be involved. People want to see what that program looks like. They don't just want to see a slideshow in DC. And so how do we help them be more involved than just writing a check, being engaged in the um, the program or mm -hmm. the or, uh, organization that they're supporting, as well as perhaps translate that, some of that back to the US political system. So who are the people on the Hill or in the administration that care about women around the world? Mm -hmm. And how can we continue to support them in this unsettled environment um, so that we can uh, you know, continue the great work? Great, well, thank you for joining us. This has been a fun conversation. Yeah, it's been good, thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Achieve Great Things. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give us a review there. Um, shoot us an email at podcast at hadaway.com if you have thoughts, suggestions, comments. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. What we are learning around the world is that if women are healthy and educated, their families will flourish. If women are free from violence, their families will flourish. 
If women have a chance to work and earn as full and equal partners in society, their families will flourish. And when families flourish, communities and nations do as well.